So, before I get started, I want to ask you guys a question. Who here has been spanked before? I better see all your hands up. If not, if not, you're part of the problem. Um, okay, so who here remembers their last spanking? <laughs> wow, <laughs> a lot less hands. That's crazy. All right, so I actually remember my last spanking um, pretty, pretty vividly. Um, so it happened to be on my 13th birthday. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I was that guy, I was that guy. So I had just turned 13, right? I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm the man. I had just entered, you know, this independence of teenage years. I got an extra swag to my walk. I'm kind of, I'm, I think I'm it, like, like I'm the man. Um, my father, however, wasn't nearly as impressed with my newfound independence, um, on my birthday, I was lying on the couch, just chilling. I'm like kicking back. I'm thinking, you know, this is my day. I ain't going to do nothing. I see my dad outside shoveling. I don't, I'm like, I don't care. He could do that. So I'm like, I'm not even offering to help. Um, then my dad, my dad yells, Jonathan, Ventaki, Jonathan, come here. Come here and help me shovel. And me, I automatically do one of those faces like, what? Like, who, who does he think he is telling me? So I, I end up going to the door, and I said something like, no. <laughs> it's my birthday, remember? Yeah, uh, for you guys, just so you know, don't ever say that to, to, your, to your parents, um, especially if they're Puerto Rican. My dad ended up, you know, I, I think I'm all cool. I walk back to the house. I'm all cool. My dad, I'm pretty sure my dad broke the 100-meter dash record that, that day, that, that January afternoon as he sprinted inside, grabbed me, and, and I don't know, yelled something in Spanish. I don't remember exactly what he said. Probably wasn't the greatest thing I would have ever heard. But, and then he just started spanking me all the way, all the way until I got outside to help him shovel. And I'm a freeze baby, so, like, I hate the cold. So that day was extra torturous because I ended up shoveling the driveway by myself on my birthday, just what everybody wants to do on their birthday. And then I also shoveled my neighbor's um, driveway as well, just, just because my parents made me do it. So, but in fairness, my dad, that, that day on my birthday, gave me what I deserved. I deserved it. I should not have talked back to him. Um, but later on that day, he ended up surprising me with, with a, a, a birthday dinner. We went out to eat. And growing up, my family, we weren't, I want to say the wealthiest, but we rarely went out to eat. So like to go out to eat was a very special occasion. And we went out to eat and treated me to a special birthday dinner. So earlier, he gave me what I deserved, the spanking, the, the shoveling. Later, he gave me what I did not deserve. The birthday dinner was a matter of grace. He showered his favor um, on this rebellious young man, and I enjoyed grace. I believe this is a beautiful story of grace, and it's something that God has lavished on each and every one of us. It's just that some people are not aware of it and how much we need it. So going back to the passage, if you guys will look with me, to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to reread those verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul uses, Paul uses harsh words here to describe how we fall short of God. He says that we are dead because of our sin. Paul says we follow the ways of the world rather than following God. We give in to deception just like Adam and Eve as our desires are for us to disobey God. Then we gratify ourselves and our desires and thoughts that are not pleasing to God. We so often put all of the things of the world and our desires above God that Paul says God has the right to be angry at us. One of the ways I like to look at it is as though um, we were zombies. For all you like Call of Duty fans out there, you know, I mean, you play the zombie mode. Well, that's exactly how we were. I got a couple of nods over here. Good job. Um, we got, that's how we were. They have no, so zombies, they have no brain. They have uh, no brain activity. They are just kind of, they just kind of moan and walk around all dead like, right? Um, they walk around like a, stiff, like a stiff pigeon. Not only is a zombie a dead body that is walking around, but it is also a body that is decaying and falling apart. It is a disgusting sight and smells awful. This is the condition that we are in before God's eyes. See, we all fall short of God that we are like walking corpses. God wants us to be alive and free, but we disobey God blatantly, or we just don't even stop to think about God in our lives. No matter how hard we try, we all disobey God all the time. And as Paul has now done a great job in making us feel uh, awful about ourselves and how much we fail, he goes on in his letter to Ephesus by using a small word with a lot of meaning at the beginning of verse 4. And that word is, is but. See, but is a great word because it puts a conditional value on everything that came before it. See, you are like a zombie in the way you follow God. You put all of these things before God, and you fill all the time in following God. But despite all of that, notice verse 4 through 6 with me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, this is called grace. The grace of God says, I forgive you for disobeying me. I know you did all these things to me and disobeyed me over and over and over again, but I forgive you. Tonight, I want to look at two kinds of grace that Paul points out in this passage. The first is saving grace. Notice verses 5 and verse 8. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. See, saving grace is the grace of God that, that saves a person. Scripture says that grace, which is unearned favor of the Lord, is necessary because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The only way to receive God's saving grace is through faith in Christ. Saving grace results in our sanctification, the process by which God conforms us to the image of Christ. At the moment of salvation, by grace, through faith, God makes us new 
creatures. And he promises to never forsake his children, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion um, to the day of the Lord. See, we have nothing in ourselves that will commend us to God. We have no saving grace on our own. Being fundamentally accepted, acceptable to God, we ask, how can we be saved? Grace then answers what is impossible with man is possible with God. Salvation is God's work. He gives us the grace we need. Our saving grace is Christ himself. His work on the cross is what saves us, not our own merit. We'll, take, we'll look more into that later on. But that's the, first, that's the first grace we see here is saving grace. The second is sufficient Grace. Notice verses 6 through 10 with me. And raised us up with him and seated us with him um, in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, grace is undeserved favor. The grace of God is his granting of good things to those who only deserve punishment. The word sufficient means adequate or enough. Sufficient grace speaks of the grace of God that grants salvation, preservation, and everything else that the believer needs in this life and the life to come. The concept of sufficient grace is that God's grace is adequate, adequate or sufficient uh, for anything we need. First, we need salvation and forgiveness of sin. God's grace provides that for all who accept it. Then, the believer needs grace to live the Christian life. God's grace is sufficient here whether the believer experiences poverty or plenty, pain or pleasure. Often Christians wonder how they could possibly survive persecution like the ones that we read about or, or, or hear about or even like when we read through the New Testament and Acts and we see Paul and Peter and we're like, how can they go through that persecution? Or maybe you are wondering how you can survive the persecution at school or at, or at home or at work. Maybe you're the only Christian in your house or in the, the only Christian in your school or the only Christian at your job. Maybe all of your friends want to do something that you know just isn't right and you're trying to ignore the temptation to do wrong. When the time comes, God's grace will be sufficient to carry the believer through whatever he or she may encounter. By focusing on the sufficient grace of God rather than human frailties, Christians can face the future with confidence. So that's the second type of grace that we see, is sufficient grace. So after looking at two types of grace, saving and sufficient grace, let's reflect at the greatest act of grace. Of all the themes of the Bible, God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, is the greatest example. It is the most critical element in a person's life. And the choice to receive it is ours. <clears throat> the, the way I like to look at it is, I want you guys to picture with me, picture, picture with me a king, right? All decked out in his clothes, his clothes, royal robe, got the crown, the golden jewels or whatever. A king, decked out. And then he's walking on the beach with his son, right? They're just having a nice day, whatever. The son then goes into the water. 
and then the son starts to drown in the water. The king doesn't notice it at first, but then he looks over and sees his son drowning. How many of you guys think that king would jump in to save his son? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the king would jump in to save his son. Despite all that he has on, all the glory and splendor he's wearing, I, he would jump in to save his son. And that's just human love. Imagine the love of God, our Father. See, we were like this kid. We were this kid um, who chose to dive into the water and then we started drowning. We were in need of a Savior. And God, leaving all his glory in heaven, sent his son down to die for us. When we were in our greatest need, when we needed a Savior, he provided a Savior. That's grace. We didn't deserve saving but God provided a way for, to spend eternity with him. See, the greatest act of grace then was given at the cross when Jesus willingly died in our place. Since God cannot tolerate sin, someone had to stand in as a substitute. Otherwise, each of us will be required to receive the punishment of sin, which is death. And Jesus took all that away from us. Remember, we were like a zombie in need of a savior. So Jesus graciously came down, stooped down, and suffered like none other when he was on the cross. See, <clears throat> the concept of grace is a picture of someone stooping to help another. And more specifically, it is a picture of a superior person freely offering to help a person in great need and incapable of doing it for himself. That's grace. We can do nothing to earn it. It is only through the saving and sufficient grace of Jesus Christ.